Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are so relevant. You are so real. You are so present. You're so intimate. Father, you know the nuances of our life, whether we realise what's happening or not. And God, we have an opportunity right now to hear from you, to take away a gem that might be applied this second or might we might need in a week's time. We might not know when we need it, but God, we know we need you and we need your word. We need your scripture. We need your teaching. So God, we just, I just pray for Andrew right now as he brings the message, Father. I pray that you would, you know, you say your, your, your word is like a sword that cuts between marrow and bone. I just want to thank you that your word is purposeful. And Father, it'll plant and it'll grow and it'll flourish. So God, I just pray for Andrew right now as he brings the word. Amen. Hey, it's nice to um thank you. It's nice to be somewhere where you can share your struggles honestly, hey. And running a church for the last two years has been really hard. And I don't know how much I've got left in me, to be really honest. To add to that, God, um, you know, takes our weaknesses and I guess my thorn in my flesh, maybe, I've never had this revelation before, but I come from a really loving family, right? But I have abandonment issues, <laughs> which makes it really hard to run a church when some of your key people don't show up when you really need them to. And I'm owning this as my issue, right? And, and you know, I've studied psychology or studying psychology. So um, the best I can put it down to is when I was a baby, I was six months old. And in those days, they didn't let you in, didn't let the parents in. So I had, I don't know, it was six weeks or three months, whatever. In So that's maybe where I get my separation anxiety from, right? So there's every now and again, um, as a leader of a church, I get triggered. Um, and it's really hard to manage. So I really appreciate um, the testimonies. And it really fits in with what I'm talking about this morning because, um, well, I'll start off with this. This is, this is the best I could put it. Um, we used to drive to my auntie's house. It was about three hours. And in those days, there was no um, iPods or... DVD players in the car. The best entertainment I had was when my brother spat out the window and it hit the window and Dad chucked a nana. That was pretty funny. Um, that was my entertainment in the car. So you're going along in the car and you go, are we there yet? You ever done that? Are we there yet? And, and Mum mum would say, ah, oh, stuff like, right? Not far now, right? Not far now. An hour later, I'd ask again, are we there yet? And mum would answer, nearly there. I never realised how much mum was like Jesus. Jesus. 
Because there's times in our lives where we say, are we there yet? Come on. Are we there yet? And he just wants us to trust him. And so he said stuff like, not far now. And that, you know, sometimes it's not helpful. It's just not helpful. And a year later, we say, are we there yet? He says stuff like, nearly. What does that mean? Sometimes growth can seem slow. And the journey can seem long. How do we know, right? Honest questions today. How do we know we're not going in circles or on the wrong road? They're fair questions, hey. They're fair questions. We all ask them. Last week I spoke on my wrestle with articulating what is spiritual maturity and what that was. Again this week I want to highlight Longevity's value of transformation. More of God, less of me. You know what that means? <laughs> it just pulls us apart, I think. So there's nothing left of us. How do I know I'm growing? What is an appropriate expectation? I heard another good definition of growing this week. You know, last week I talked to you either growing or dying. Um, this week someone said to me, we're either moving towards Jesus or moving away from him. How good is that? We're either moving towards Jesus or we're moving away from him. So last week we looked at the first four Beatitudes, which really about our relationship with us and God. This week I want to look at the four beat, last four Beatitudes, um, which is really between our relationship with others. So how do I know? These are just measures. How do I know? And I guess this morning... Um, there's, you know, there's times when we need to challenge ourselves and there's times when we need to comfort ourselves. And so, you know, like you hear Mary's testimony say, I think Mary's nailing it. Hear Kim's testimony, I think Kim's nailing it. Because it's about being, not doing. And that's why I wrestle with these subjects because um, I was a Salvation Army officer for three years and I was committed to being a human being. So it's about being, not doing, right? Within three years, I'd become a human doing. That's how easy it is to make our God what we do instead of who we are. And I, I, I still wrestle with that today. I still want what I do to actually come out of who I am. And I want the being to always be more important than the doing. And I want this to be part of the, the, the values of our church. It's about who we are. So I know I'm growing when I experience compassion for others. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. See how quick I can preach this, hey? This mercy is really talking about the compassion we show people who are suffering the consequence of their sin. That's what this is talking about. Because human nature... And we've all been tempted to do it if we haven't done it. Tends to say to people who are reaping the consequences of their sin, serve you right. Or hope the consequences teach you a lesson. But mercy weeps with compassion as people reap their consequences. 
See, Jesus looked over Jerusalem, and he, it, was, it was actually after he spoke the woes. He knew. He, he could foresee. I don't know to, what, to how much detail. AD 70, when the Romans were going to smash Jerusalem, and a judgment of God was going to come upon it. And Jesus said, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. So he, he spoke the truth, right? He gave the warnings. But then he wept over the city and he said, how I long to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. He shared his heart, his compassion, but you were not willing. There's Jesus' compassion. He spoke the truth, but he didn't celebrate that they were going to reap the consequences of their sin. It actually broke his heart. And so for us too, if we're growing in our relationship with Jesus, we don't celebrate people reaping the consequences of their sin. We let it break our hearts. We show compassion. I'll never forget when I rolled my first car. It's a memorable event, really. I always wondered what the underside of my car looked like. That day I got to find out. And I thought, what is my dad going to say? I was in fear and trembling, and as I'm walking up the driveway, I thought, you know what, nothing Dad says is going to make this any worse. And you know what? My dad didn't say anything. Just showed compassion and helped me fix it. That's mercy. He didn't say, I told you so. didn't say, well, you had this coming. He just helped me. You know, my mum told me later that he, his greatest, he, he was just felt for me that I'd saved up all this money doing a paper run for years and then kind of threw it away by rolling my car. He was sad for me. He had compassion for me. You know, so God doesn't celebrate when we reap the consequences of our sin. He's a just God and so we have to reap consequences, but he doesn't celebrate that. He weeps when it happens breaks his heart when we reap the consequences of our sins. Secondly, I know I'm growing when I keep my heart pure and my hands clean. Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity here means purity of thought, imagination, motivation and act. So the whole thing. It's interesting, further down in chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus kind of unpacks this a bit. Okay, I'm talking about purity, this is what I'm talking about. You've heard that it was said that people long ago you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He goes on to say, verse 27, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What God was talking about is their heart attitude. He cares about what's on the inside. He also said to the Pharisees, Woe to you teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs. You know one thing I like about this church, and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, and I encourage it, I'm sorry. But that we do come as we are. We wear bare feet on the platform. You know, there's a guy who came from Duralong once, I've probably told this story, he was, it was his first time, and he said, oh, I'm sorry that I'm wearing my slippers today, I have swollen feet. You know how good it was to tell him, mate, no one's going to notice in there. You wear what you like. Because we're not about what's on the outside. We're about what's on the inside. Never forget my favourite message I've ever heard. And this guy said, we need, 
root people, people that get back to the guts of stuff. You know what he was talking about? What's in here? What's in here? So you can fake it to everyone else. So can I. But God sees my heart. Yeah, the good news about that, when I screw it up, God also sees my heart. He sees that I really tried hard and my heart was in the right place. So you know what? If you know you're pure in heart this morning, give yourself a break. Well, you're in the room. That's a great start, isn't it? Hey? I don't, sometimes we punish ourselves when God doesn't even, hasn't even crossed his mind because he knows our heart. He knows our heart is good. And he wants, you know, he just knows that. It's also interesting in the same chapter, he's, you know, he's talking to these Pharisees who were the religious guys. You know, they had the right power dress and, the, you know, they had it all together um, on the outside, but not on the inside. And he called, another thing he called them were blind guides. Interesting, hey? Blind guides. Oswald Sam does the book, the writer of the book I've been reading for these sermons. He said this, interesting quote, There is no such thing as clearness of vision where there is not cleanness of heart. Which fits right in with, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So one of the ways I can measure how pure my heart is, is by how clear my vision of God is. Isn't that interesting? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We just keep our hearts clean by the whole John, 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins and he will forgive our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, the other way God cleanses us is in this verse I've been meditating on, wrestling with, studying, probably for about six weeks. Um, John chapter 15, and it says, um, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit will be cut off. But every branch in me, <laughs> this has got to suck, right? That does bear fruit will be cleansed or pruned you ever been through a pruning I'm going through one right now I feel like I feel like a stick I feel like a rose bush that's had everything cut away from it you know the comfort I take in that is he's, he's cut off it's not because I've done anything wrong he's just cut off some good stuff to get some better stuff does that make sense and it's too often we think, oh, I've done something wrong. When our hearts are good, well, I've done something, you know, we maybe haven't done anything wrong. Maybe it's just God's pruning and cleansing for a new season. So there's different ways we get our heart pure. Sometimes God just comes in with his snippers. Other times we need to go to him when we're convicted of sin and say, God, you know, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And, you know, as soon as we say, ask for forgiveness, he gives it to us. The pure in heart shall see God. I know I'm growing when my motives and actions are pure. And God will show me that. Um, number three, I know I'm growing when I work for reconciliation. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. You know, Jesus, this is what we're talking about, becoming more like Jesus. Jesus was a peacemaker. Colossians 1.20 says, Through the Son, then God decided to bring the whole universe back to himself. God made peace through his son's blood on the cross and so brought back to himself all things, 
both on heaven and both on earth and in heaven. So God made peace. When Jesus came and died for our sins, the Bible says he made peace, peace between us and God, and the peace cost him his life. So too for us, peace will be a cost. Because what they're saying here is it's not, pass- it's not about being passive. It's not about being a doormat. It's actually about actively working towards reconciliation, following the Holy Spirit in that. Often we think pursuing peace is a passive thing, but we all probably experienced being passive can actually increase conflict. <laughs> you ever experienced that? Passivity can actually increase conflict. These days I have a fancy word for it called passive-aggressive. <laughs> being a peacemaker is more often than not means taking action. I used to be frightened of conflict, avoided it like the plague. And then as I learned to embrace it and saw the value in it, I realized that conflict is just an opportunity to take a relationship to a deeper level. So when we avoid conflict, we actually avoid doing relationship at a deeper level. And so I had the joy this week of doing a little bit of healthy conflict. It wasn't really even conflict, but it's just talking some truth with someone. And that feeling of just connecting or reconnecting at a deeper level was really great. Because we're made for connection. If we're passive, that will not produce peace. But if we lovingly confront, and can I just, you've heard me say it a thousand times because I love it. Joyce Meyer says, um, the right thing said at the wrong time in the wrong way is still the wrong thing. So you might, you know, I think actually knowing the right thing to say is the easy part. Waiting for God on the timing and getting God's heart on how to deliver it um, will bring fruit of reconciliation in our relationships. I know I'm growing when I'm a peacemaker. Number four, I know I'm growing when I show courage, courageous loyalty. I love this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oswald Sanders calls the persecuted the courageously loyal. How good is that? The courageously loyal. I love loyal people. Love it. That's the real thing, isn't it? I'm excited to have a loyal wife because I can be a jerk sometimes. And I know she's not going anywhere. The security of our marriage is in that we're committed to each other, even if we're jerks. Hey, how good is that? It's not Disney, friends. We don't live in Disney. We live in the real world, and the real world, as we've heard this morning, is hard. It doesn't even end well sometimes. And so we have to, be, we have to work out whether we're going to be loyal or not. No, not now, Wayne, sorry. Yeah, that's a good idea. And this is not the persecution we suffer for provoking people, Right? If, you, if you're persecuted because you've been a jerk first, that doesn't count. Okay? Sorry. 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 Just, well, I'm just saying what's in the Bible, right? So the Bible says, read the verse that says, who are persecuted because of righteousness. So that's when we're persecuted for doing the right thing. We've been doing the right thing. Have you ever been persecuted for doing the right thing? I think we all have. Hey, I was just trying to help, and someone at you, you know? Just actually was trying to help, sorry. You may have heard of open doors. 
If not, I encourage you to Google Open Doors. There's an organisation that supports the most persecuted Christians in our world today. And there's more persecuted Christians in our world today than there's ever been. If you struggle to believe that Jesus is coming again, well, have a look at that. Hey? Because it warned us that that would happen. There's more persecuted Christians in the world today than there's ever been before. So in one context, um, communist authorities seek to control the church. So in countries like North Korea, China, where Christians can be detained, tortured, even killed. But despite the risk, Christians are risking it all to follow Jesus. They're courageously loyal. One pastor in China said, I heard about a group of believers I trained. He trained them in China. How cool is that? From North Korea. And they returned to North Korea. And during the summer months, they sometimes go to the cornfields and hide at night. There they worship and pray to God, or sometimes they worship God deep in the woods. Imagine that. It's a good, if we ever start getting persecuted in this country, we'll just meet in the reserve. Is that okay? I reckon we can have great church in the reserve. But closer to home, right? Our experience, because we don't suffer persecution, you know, really from our country for being Christians. Um, but we can be wrongly accused when we've honestly been trying to do what is right. I had a youth pastor once that I, you know me, I was trying to help people with their boundaries. And after, you know, 18 months of trying to help him with his boundaries, he burnt out and blamed me. <laughs> if we don't want to own our stuff, people, we blame other people for it. You know that. If we don't want to own our own stuff, we actually hurt people. So if you don't want to hurt people, don't own your stuff. Okay? It's a very painful um, time in my life. After being with the NRMA for nearly 30 years, I reckon, I've started insuring with other policy, with other insurance companies. You know why? Because the word on the street is um, that's the new customers that get the discounts. There's no reward for loyalty in our world anymore, friends. There's no reward for loyalty. Loyalty is no longer rewarded as it used to be, but hear this, in God's economy, he still rewards loyalty. In God's economy, he still rewards loyalty. He said, blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. God will always reward loyalty because he is loyal. He is loyal. Get that? That's why he rewards it, because he is loyal. He'll never quit on us. He'll never stop trying to reach us. He'll never stop loving us. He calls his followers to be the same, and those followers will inherit the kingdom of heaven. I know I'm growing when I'm persecuted for doing the right thing. It's interesting the theme of sharing today because my conclusion story is when I was in the training college in the second year, I've never seen myself as an academic and probably never want to. Um, nothing against academics, I appreciate them. Someone needs to do the thinking for people like me. And so I got into the second year of college and it was busier than the first year and it was just full on and, my, and I missed the date for my first assessment, you know, so I did an all-nighter. You ever done an all-nighter? There's a, really, there's a really bad idea. And so I did an all-nighter and I got like just scraped through by the skin of my teeth, you know, with a pass. And so for the rest of the year, I worked really hard. 
right? Now, this is a problem when we don't check in and see how we're going. I probably should have checked in on April or May to see how I was going because I got to November and I got an award for the most improved academically, right? So all the, all the leaders of the Salvation Army said, oh, congratulations. And I said, if I knew I was going to do so well, I wouldn't have tried so hard. <laughs> they laughed too and they thought I was joking, but I was telling the truth. I was telling the truth. You know what, if we knew it was going so well, this is why we need to check in. If we knew we were going so well, maybe we don't need to try so hard. Do you hear me? On the other hand, if we check in and we're not doing so well, maybe we need to change some things. I don't know where you're at this morning, okay? Maybe you've been trying too hard. Maybe you haven't been, had your face, maybe you've had your face away from Jesus instead of towards him. I don't know. That's between you and God. Are we growing? Are we more merciful? Am I more merciful than I was? I don't know. I'm looking at that. Am I more pure in my motives? Am I more, more of a peacemaker than I used to be? Am I more loyal to Jesus? Or am I growing in my loyalty to Jesus? If so, celebrate his grace and power that lets that happen. If not, if we think we may be moving away from Jesus instead of towards him, then I encourage you just to turn around. Just to turn away from whatever's been distracting you from him instead of moving away. Because we don't realise that, right? This is the thing. Where's the cross? Sorry about the camera. I think this is the danger, right? We know when we're moving towards the cross because we're growing and fruits developing in our lives and all that kind of thing. But like Melissa showed the kids' time last week or the week before, um, when things distract us, we're focused on the thing. We don't even realise we're moving away. Do you realise that? We don't even realise we're moving away. And sadly, it's not until we hit a consequence that we go, hang on, what happened? Jesus left the boat. Actually, I left the boat. And so I just need to forget about the flashy thing that distracted me. And start moving back towards him. That's all we've got to do. So this morning, there's a couple of things as the band comes, I invite you to do. If like we've heard with Mary, praise God, you finally entered his rest. <laughs> right? Kim, praise God, you finally entered his rest. You know, my, my heart for you ever since you come to this church was that you would find that being space. That being space, that's my heart for you and to hear your testimony this morning was so good. Because that's what God calls us to. He doesn't call us to do stuff. He calls us to be like Jesus. So this morning, it's not about what you do. It's not about your position. It's about who you are. And I can tell you this, right? If you're in this building today, you're seeking God, I guess. And so he's happy about that. And you can give yourself a pat on the back. And I can tell you this, doesn't matter how long since you've been here, he's never given up on you. And he's as excited, probably more so, to see you in the building today. Why? Because you've come to church and done a service? No, because you're in an environment where it fosters growth and your faith can be encouraged. And, and, and you can grow, you can relax and grow. 
And then what we do, you find what you do comes out of who you are. We're, we're called to do stuff instead of driven to do stuff. Does that make sense? Let's pray. And maybe this morning you want to stand here and just walk towards the cross if you need to do that. You might want to pray and kneel, kneel and pray. Um, you may want to hear God's affirmation that you've got a good heart and you need to stop trying so hard. Lord God, whatever we need to do this morning, um, you know that and you can tell us that. And so speak to our hearts right now in Jesus' name. Lord, if it's time for affirmation, then Lord, give us your affirmation. Help us to receive it. Lord, if it's time for challenge, help us not to come under condemnation, but to just hear you, the conviction of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.